Good morning. Good morning. How are y'all? Good. Good, all right. I'll take that. That's a good start. We're going to get there. It's always an honor to stand before you. Um, the last few weeks, Jamin has done an amazing job of, of just diving into Hebrews chapter uh, 2 and then finishing it out. And uh, it's, it's been really cool just to see what God has done through that passage and what he's done through Jamin. Um, but I, I genuinely do uh, miss every time... Uh, that I'm around y'all, I missed I missed the opportunity of diving in front or diving in and just getting into God's word. So it's good uh, to be back in front of you, and I hope that God moves today. I hope that uh, as we move through Hebrews chapter three verses one through six, that that we pull out um, just the knowledge and the wisdom that is uh, the word of God and apply it to us. It, it's it's been a crazy week in, in Dallas. So. Um, one of the icebreakers, I think they don't teach you this in seminary, but one of the icebreakers that you always do as a pastor is you make a comment about weather. Like, oh man, it's so hot out there, how y'all doing? Or, uh, man, it's super cold, oh, it's so cold. Um, and uh, I, I don't know why, like if you went back and look at our podcast, I guarantee you the first seven sentences out of either me or Jamin's mouth would be something about, man, it's crazy, it's so crazy, it's, text, it's so hot, again, and again, and we're sweating, it's so... Uh, that being said, though, like we got we got a little dose of some um, pretty legit weather this week. Um, <laughs> I don't mean that to be a weather thing. I had like a prayer request sheet. I was going to talk about people who were greatly affected um, by the weather this week, and <laughs> I'd now look at it. That was kind of a punchline, but no, I meant it. Uh, we got hit by some some devastating weather. So last Sunday night, uh, we had some storms rolling. I married a woman who takes storms significantly more serious than I do. Um, some could call it a phobia or a fear or irrational um, anxiety. Uh, but last Sunday, I got proved as a guy who doesn't take things serious enough. Uh, so last week, we had storms, and it started as maybe just the cold front's coming in, and then it, maybe maybe it's going to be some crazy thunderstorms and maybe a, a tornado watch and a warning. I have no clue the difference. Um, but then it ended up being like 10 ice separate tornadoes that hit our area, and so many people got devastated. Um, by the grace of God, there were, there were only injuries and there was no loss of life, but we had really catastrophic uh, devastation of property, uh, discomplete dislo- dislocating of kids where, from where they normally go to school and their friends and all that, that kind of stuff. We had Thomas Jefferson High School was dealt a complete loss. Cary Middle School uh, uh, dealt a complete loss. And Walnut Hill Elementary School was dealt a complete loss. Those are all, uh, those are all schools inside of our community, inside Dallas. Um, we also had Northway Church, which is a pretty big church, the offset, offset from the Village Church, also a complete loss. So you had so many people who, who were uh, displaced, or so many people are having to find a new place to worship today, and they don't know where their kids are going to go to school six months from now. And that doesn't sound like, uh, in, the, in the day and age of where like, we, we like, tra- like travesty, like we like, like, oh, how many... How, how, how bad can it get? And that's what really gets the clickbait, or that's what gets... And we, we don't take for granted sometimes that, like, there are kids that are going to have to find a new way of doing life for this year, and, that's, and it's going to disrupt their learning. It's going to disrupt uh, where they go to school and their parents and all that stuff, and that's a big deal. Um, uh, and I want us to always take uh, a, a pause when we have something big like this that maybe didn't affect you. Maybe your house is completely fine, and the kids, the school that your kids go to was in no way affected, but there are people that are having to just completely reorient themselves and their houses. So uh, if, if you have friends and you have family that are in need, lend that help. Uh, step up. Pray for their kids. Pray for uh, DISD as they're having to do some huge shuffling right now just to get kids in a safe place where they can learn um, and continue to get the education that they need. So um, uh, the storm 
Storm also brought in some good things. There is silver lining, as, as Trinity Church likes to do. We like to grow from a grassroots perspective. Uh, I've had many a talk with uh, church plant pastors, and they say, how do y'all grow? And I say, we have babies. Um, <laughs> I, I, what, what's your main way? Um, uh, we have uh, a lot of kids. We have uh, families who have been blessed. Uh, with kids, and, and last Sunday during the storm, uh, Teresa Mellard went into labor. They had Lane Mellard. He is safe and sound and beautiful. They made it through the storm unscathed. They had the baby. Uh, <laughs> she actually brought the kids today um, to church. So they're down the hallway. So anyone that's not here that's like, I got really busy this weekend. I couldn't make it to church. Feel free to shame them. And the <laughs> of, uh, Teresa Mellard. She pulled up like, Teresa, what are you doing? Like, what is your... Okay, I like it. So um, that's awesome. Also, Ellie Maddox was one. We practiced this. Catherine's like, hey, you got to get these names. So Catherine's my name person. If you ever say like, hey, this is what we need to pray on. This is their name. And then I, we go over it in the hallway and I say it to her like three or four times. And then I just look at her when I'm in front of people and then she says it louder. But uh, Ellie Maddox uh, was born Friday. Friday. So uh, we have... So literally, like Friday, so like two days ago. So Lane Mellard was the youngest kid in, in Trinity Church Oak Cliff for almost four days. And now he's been dethroned. And that's really how Trinity Church rolls. And I'll be honest with you, as a round tree, uh, Ellie Maddox won't be the youngest for long. So pray for us as me and Joe embark the third. Which they, if you ask anyone, they say that's the easiest child. The third is really just cake money. That's what I've been told, and that's what I believe. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> Tired people telling them to be devastated. <laughs> I'll believe my truth. All right, so um, as we dive in this week, so we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Like I said, Jamin did a great job the last two weeks of really uh, shoring up what is the foundation of our salvation, which is Jesus Christ. He walked us through uh, the last few weeks what penal substitution means, which means we owed a debt we could not pay. Christ paid a debt he did not owe. Um, and there was a lot of beauty in that. There was one of the main sentences that he tasted death for, death for everyone. He tasted the death... Um, that made it possible for God uh, to see us through the lens of Christ. So he sanctified us. He set us apart as children of God. And he said, you are no longer just broken sinners walking around this earth doomed to, to hell and destruction, but you are the sons and daughters of God that I have, I have purified you with my blood. So Christ's atoning blood reigns over us. So when God looks at us, through the lens of Christ, he sees the atoning blood of Jesus, and now Christ is the intermediary for us to God. So we now have access to God, the triune God, the God, the creator, sustainer, and helper of all things. We have access through God, through Christ. And, and, and Jamin did an amazing job of saying, like, we have to orient our life to say that. We can't just say it, but we have to believe it. You have to actually believe that he tasted death for everyone. Christ died on the cross and atoned for all sins unilaterally, immediately, and in one final moment of beautiful sacrifice on the cross. He, he died for all. And in that death, he gave us the opportunity for salvation. And, and, and there's a, a progressive sanctification that comes through that. So once you take Christ as your Savior, and once you say, I am lost and I need a Savior, and that Savior is Christ, that doesn't just mean that everything is going to be great. It doesn't mean that your life is just going to be cake money now, and you're going to walk down and it's rainbows and sunshine. It's actually, if you read the Bible, it means the, the opposite. But there's still this beautiful sanctification. There's still this beautiful process of where every day we yearn and desire uh, to look more and more like Christ and we walk in his ways. This this week 
the, the writer of Hebrews is now going to double down on the supremacy of Christ. He's going to say, if you understand the foundation of Christ, you have to understand the supremacy of Christ. And if you are, if you've been with us for the entirety of this, this sermon series, you may start to develop a theme that the, the writer of Hebrews is always going to go back to the supremacy of Christ. He's always going to say, hey, this is an important facet in the foundation of, of what you believe and the theology that drives your life. But then we're always going to go back to the, the, the supremacy of Christ because the writer of Hebrews knows the same thing as he pastors his church as a writing of this book, as the same thing I know as I pastor you, that life comes at you fast, and once you forget that Christ is supreme, that is when we start to drift. That is when we start to, to wane. That's when we start to lose focus. That's when we start to lose our ability to walk with Christ. So you're going to see throughout this book of Hebrews, he's always going to come back to the truth of the supremacy of Christ, because he knows the key to your life, the key to having peace that passes all understanding is for you to understand that Christ is supreme in all, and he has to reign on the throne of your heart. Today, he's going to prove the supremacy of Christ through the lens of Moses. He's going to say, he is, he is superior to Moses. And for some of us, we may say, that is an easy sell. Uh, Moses is an Old Testament figure, and that doesn't take, we, we get that. And I want to draw light to the fact that that, that was an easier sell now in, in a New Testament church than it was when this was written, because Moses was the Hebrew of Hebrew at the time this was written. And there's still some applicableness to our daily life, even though we may not ever have thought of worshiping Moses, there is some applicableness to the fact that Moses was the spiritual elite, he was, he was a profound leader in the nation of Israel and he was a historical figure that did things that, uh, that, that most people couldn't comprehend, but he was still just a faithful worker of Christ. We're going to consider Christ through the superiority that he has and we're going to talk about how the order in which we see Christ, the order of his supremacy is vital to our daily life. Alright, turn to chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read it out loud. If you would stand in the honor of... Uh, God's holy word, it's going to be behind me, and there should be a Bible close to you. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as a builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Verse 4, For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. You may be seated. Let me pray over us and we're going to dive in. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your, your provisional grace and, and your hedge of protection over Dallas this, this last week as we saw storms and we saw uh, devastation and destruction. And I pray uh, that... Um, the churches that were affected and the schools that were affected um, find order, find peace, find rhythm, and get them back into the routine so they can, they can congregate as your church and, and as they can learn as your children. God, I pray over us for the next few minutes that we may dive into your holy word and that we may pull out the wisdom and the beauty that you have for us. God, I pray that would, whatever uh, 
hinder us or, or distract us or be an obstacle that you would, you would extract it, you would rip it out of our minds and our hearts so we may solely focus on you. Amen. All right, so um, I really enjoy this passage because uh, I really like the way the Hebrew writer writes most of his claims to Christ's supremacy. He does it from a very rational and logical uh, uh, point of view. He's not trying to wow you with romantic words. He's really trying to be reasonable. He's trying to be methodical. He's actually just making almost a debate-like statement. He's, he's debating the, the Hebrew uh, congregation, and he's meeting them at their level. He's not just saying, hey, I said this. Believe it. Don't ask any questions. He actually comes to the level and says, I know you were a practicing Hebrew. You were, you were a, 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 probably a Jew in good standing, which meant weeks before uh, the, the writing this sermon or, or preaching to this congregation, they were probably following Mosaic and Levitical law. They were, they were, they were uh, sacrificing accordance to Mosaic law. They were, they were living their life according to Mosaic law. So and the key to Mosaic law was really following the teaching of Moses. So the best way to meet them where they are and to prove and explain Christ's supremacy is to come at the, the patriarchs of their Old Testament religion, their Old Testament faith, and say, if you are struggling with understanding Christ's supremacy, let me show you his supremacy through the lens of your patriarch. Let me show you the, the, how he is supreme through your leader, Moses. And he in no way is trying to throw shade on Moses. He's not trying to degrade Moses. He's trying to make more of Christ. He's trying to say, yes, Moses was faithful, but Christ is God. Christ is our Savior. He is our sustainer. So as it opens up in verse 1, he says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share the heavenly calling. So it's saying, people who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, I want you to consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So what he's saying, I want you to consider Jesus. And the word consider can be tricky because we consider a lot. We consider where we want to eat lunch. We consider what movie we want to wear what, or watch, what, what clothes we want to wear. We consider a lot, but that's not what consider means in this context. In this context, consider means continuous observation, to apply one's mind diligently, to obsessively focus with unceasing passion. So I know you're thinking, that's not what I was thinking with consider, and it really wasn't what I either. But it makes more sense when you hear him say, consider Jesus. What he's saying, I want you to fo solely focus on Christ. I want you to solely focus on his supremacy. I want you to solely focus him as your apostle and high priest. So apostle means sent one. Christ is the sent one. He, he was sent as a Messiah. He is our uh, high priest. All a high priest was, was a man uh, or a preacher or a priest who came to God for the people of Israel. And that's really what Christ is for us. He's an intermediary. He comes in our stead to God and he died in our stead for God and now we're able to worship him and we're able to atone and speak and pray to God through Jesus Christ. And he says, consider, unceasingly consider, never stop, concentrate, focus. It takes discipline. It takes discipline and focus to continually consider Christ. As, as king and as our savior and he knows that and he continually goes back to the supremacy of Christ because he knows we will, fa we will waver we will drift if we, can, if we forget Christ's place in our life which is king and on the throne and he immediately goes to Moses which would have been a hard topic these people uh, aspire great reverence and respect to Moses. He would have been untouchable. You cannot say anything negative about Moses. He was their deliverer. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a prophet. He was uh, one of the main uh, patriarchs of the Jewish nation and, and Israel at this time, and probably the main, maybe only second to Abraham. And he says, 
Just as Moses was faithful in God's house, Jesus, who was counted more glory than Moses. That sentence right there could have gotten him run out of his church, but he knew it was true and he need, he knew his congregation needed to hear it. Okay, so let's push pause and let's just see, let's just cover who Moses is. So we have to understand who Moses is and who Moses was to this congregation before we can properly understand how important it is for these people to understand Christ is superior to Moses. Like I said, Moses was the greatest of Hebrews. Moses was, uh, we first see Moses in Exodus 1, and the first thing we know about Moses is he was born uh, from a Levite woman and a Levite man at a time where it wasn't good to be uh, a Jewish boy. So at this time, uh, Pharaoh had started to realize that, hey, all these Jews that have come over um, and, and really kind of sojourned and have refuged here in Egypt are starting to multiply and multiply and multiply to the point where they are now becoming a minority-majority people. And that, that and really that, that started to scare him. He was he was worried that if there was ever a civil war to break out or maybe a, a, a warring faction to come in and go to war with Egypt, that the Jews were big enough to side with the warring faction and overthrow Egypt. So his plan was to enslave Egypt. His plan was to put taskmasters over Egypt and really control them through fear and work. And all he did is work work. They built the they built the, the main infrastructures of Egypt at that time. And he continued uh, to be harsh and to rule uh, with aggressive slavery over them. But the Bible says that the more he tried to uh, suppress and, and oppress the nation of Israel, the more they multiplied. So God greatly blessed uh, the women of Israel and continued to multiply, continued to, to, to bore kids. So then what he went to is he went to the midwives of Egypt and said, Hey, every time an, uh, a Jewish woman gives birth to a male, I want you to kill her. I want you to kill the baby as it comes out of the womb, and if it's a female, you can let it live. His plan was to handle any kind of war with a uh, majority female uh, race. So the midwives, they feared God, and they refused to do it. They said, we're not going to kill the babies. So uh, the, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt learns this, and he's like, hey, you have to kill these babies. If you don't kill these babies, I kill you. Uh, and, and the word went out that if you, if you had a male child and the mom realized it was male, you had to kill yourself. So enter Moses. Moses is born. His mother realizes, oh no, Moses is a, is a son. He's a male. I don't have the choice to keep him. Keeping him would actually end up in death in my, own, my entire family. So she puts Moses in, in, in a basket and puts him on the Nile. And Moses floats down and is found uh, by uh, the daughter of Pharaoh. And a long story short, in years and years of history... Moses is found by the daughter of uh, Pharaoh, raised by the daughter of Pharaoh, raises, grows up to be uh, one of the family members of, of Pharaoh in this ironic twist of how God can always make uh, his glory known even through the greatest sin uh, of, of man. He can still have his will triumph and his glory triumph. So Moses, uh, even though he was born into a death sentence, grows up uh, to be a, a man trained and aspire and, and man trained and really uh, predestined to, to lead. He is, he, is, he is a son and, and a prince 
of Egypt. Um, he goes on and he helps deliver the nation of Israel. So there's ten plagues, you know all that, the, the Red Sea parts. Moses delivers the nation of Israel and, and leads them in uh, uh, to uh, the wandering. And then there's the Mosaic Law, and he is a historian, he's a prophet. He is now the leader of the nation of Israel. Really before Moses, the nation of Israel was just a few tribes that didn't know what to do, and he turned them into a nation. He turned them into infrastructures. He gave them the law. He was the only person that was ever ascribed to speak with God directly. In, Rome, in Numbers 12, uh, God talks about how he communicated prophetically to Moses face to face. And you see that he is a faithful servant his entire life. He wasn't perfect, but he was a faithful servant. And he is a spot, he is uh, looked at to as a, as a reverent uh, leader of the nation of Israel, and they hold him in such high respect because of how faithful he was throughout his life and all that he did to build up the nation of Israel into the nation of Israel that they, they know today. And, we, and everything that Moses did pointed to Christ. And what he is saying is, hey, Moses did a lot of good work inside God's house. But all he is is a faithful member of God's will and plan. He is, he is a child of God. He is a faithful steward of God's will. He did everything he could to, to walk inside God's will and do everything he could to help the nation of Israel. But all Moses did was really point to Christ. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, hey, Moses was great. But he is not God. He is just a creation of God. He is a faithful member of God's family. He is a son and daughter of God. But he is still just a man. And that would have been hard for them to understand. That would have been a, a very unpopular sentence for them. Because they almost they put him as maybe a supernatural Christian. They may have put him into a spiritual elite. And what this writer is, supposed, is trying to say is, Hey, I want you to understand your faith. And I want you to understand that order matters. How you view um, God, how you view Christ, and how you view Him in relation to yourself and to other humans matters. Because the order in which we worship God determines who we are and, and how we view God. And it's really easy for us to get confused. It's really easy for us to say, hey, um, I think... I think that, that, that God is great. I think, I think Moses is great. I think the Old Testament uh, laws are great. And I'm just going to add Jesus onto it. And that's what he was really in fear of for the nation of Israel. The, the Jews that the writer of Hebrews was, was teaching, he was really worried that they were, he, they were just going to add Christ to the list of things they were going to worship. And as crazy as that sounds, we do that every day. We fall into a, a, a polytheistic view without, without even knowing it. And polytheistic just means we think there's a lot of gods. And I know if I gave you a, a rundown or a, some kind of test on a sheet, and if I said, hey, is there a lot of gods or is there one God, you would all say there's just one God. But the way, our live, the way we live our lives is very different. We get confused in the creation and the creator. And the way to simplify the order is there is a creator God and everything else is creation. Everything else is under the domain of God. There is no uh, rung in the ladder of supremacy. There is Christ God, triune God, the creator, and everything else is his creation. And that sounds simple, but it's extremely hard for us to live out day in and day out. We fall into this confusion where we just want to add something on. We say, yes, I believe Christ is great. I believe Paul's writings are true. I believe the songs that we sing are really beautiful and catchy. 
And I believe the ways of the world make me comfortable and I like them. And I believe uh, the legalistic uh, bonds that were placed on me as a child are, are hard, but they make me feel comfortable because I can check them off. And I believe that uh, I should aspire to uh, the values of this world instead of the values of God. And there's all of this polytheistic views of saying, I call everything great. I'm never going to say that Christ isn't king. I'm just going to say he's one of a few kings. And that is where the nation of Israel, and that is where the congregation uh, in Hebrews was really getting in trouble. It's not that they didn't think Christ was really good or a prophet or maybe even the Son of God. It's that they said, that's great. I'm just going to lop it on top of everything I already believe. I'm going to believe Moses is great. He's kind of a deity. I'm going to believe Christ is a deity. Abraham is great. And, and we see that all throughout our culture where we say, yes, I'm not going to ever say anything bad about Christ. I'm just not going to give him the supremacy he deserves. I'm not going to put him at the, the head of everything. I'm going to make it this neutral playing ground for all these great things where I want to serve and worship. Because if you are worshiping it, you are saying it is the king of your life. And you can't just add Christ to your beliefs. And, and we, we, we find ourselves in this weird moment of not knowing who is king, where is right, where our true north is, and we get lost. And we get confused. And when we confuse the order, we find ourselves exactly where Satan wants us. Because, like I said, there's two ways for us to confuse the order. We can say, we'll worship everything. And we'll worship everything as, as, as yes, they're all great. Christ is great. Moses is great. Um, our job is great. Our family is great. We're going to put everything in the, in the throne of our heart. Or uh, we're going to put Christ where he belongs. He is number one. Christ is the creator. Everything else is creation. But then we're going to do subsets of believers. And we're going to say, Christ is amazing. And Moses is, is amazing. He's, he's 1B. And then I fall here in this weird, just broken sinner that can never amount to anything for God. And, and that's another place where Satan wants us. Satan wants us to believe uh, that, that Christ can only really work through people like Moses. Or people can only work through people like Abraham. And it's easy for us to fall away. And it's easy for us, again, to confuse the order of worship in which we aspire uh, to live our life. It's easy for us to look at someone like Moses, and, and especially at, at the time that Hebrews was written, and fall into like a LeBron James syndrome. Who knows who LeBron James is? You don't have to raise your hand like soup. Like, you all know who LeBron James is. You all like just geek out. Most of you probably, like that was really weird. Let's try it again. Who knows who LeBron James is? Fair, you raised your hand smaller that time. <laughs> So, uh, misunderstanding Moses and, and who he is uh, can lead us to LeBron James Syndrome. I made that up. That's a thing that TCOC can copyright. LeBron James Syndrome is where you look at Moses and, 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 and you don't fall into the trap of, of the, the modern day Hebrew at this time where you aspire him to be deity. You don't think he is a god. You just think he's a supernatural Christian. You think, hey, uh, I know that Christ is king. And Moses is a prince, and I'm this is broken tool that can never really be used. So LeBron James is is a beast like freak. He is a thirty two. He, he's thirty two years old, or he's thirty four years old. Um, he entered the NBA in 2003. He was the most hyped NBA player I've ever seen, and he's, he's lived up to every moment and ounce of the hype. Uh, he was claimed as the best NBA or uh, the best. Uh, a basketball player in the world his sophomore year in high school. He skipped 
college, went straight to the NBA, and his first year in the NBA, he got Rookie of the Year. He's won three rings. I could go on and on and on. But it's easy for us to, to view Moses in the same way we, we view LeBron James. It's something we can never aspire to. We look at Moses and we think, he did so many great things for the cause of Christ. That's really good for Moses. And, and LeBron James is this amazing basketball player, and I could never be either one of them. But the reality is, and I'm not really comparing them by any means, I'm saying uh, we, we, fall our, we fall into this trap of saying, I can never be that, so I'm never going to try. I'm never going to say yes to God's call. I'm never going to be faithful to God's call because he has gifted spiritually and supernatural Christians with abilities I never have. And what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get through to our heads is Christ is king and everyone else is just a faithful servant. Everyone else may get different abilities, different callings, different opportunities, but all they are are people who are saying yes to the will of God. Moses was just someone who continually said yes. It took some prodding at the very beginning, but all Moses was is someone who faithfully said yes to the call of Christ. He wasn't perfect. He actually murdered somebody. Uh, most of the people you see in the Old Testament New Testament were broken people who had serious issues going on, but they were faithful to the cause of Christ. And when you understand the superiority of Christ in your life as king, everything starts to fall in place. When you say, you are king and I just want to be your servant, I want to say yes to your call, I want to be faithful, I want to live a life that is in the manner in which I've been called, I want to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, I want to be uh, just your son and daughter. I want to be someone who, who, can, who can walk day in and day out and saying, Christ is king, and I'm going to follow his calling. I'm going to follow his leadership wherever it may go. Because that's all Moses was. We, we, all the time, we forget the order of our worship. We forget the order of our life. And we say, Christ is either nothing or he's everything. And, and, and after we determine who Christ is, we have no clue how to apply our life to that calling. And as we see through Moses' life, and as we see through a lot of the, of the characters in the Bible, all they were was faithful servants of God. They said yes when saying no would have been easy. You have to first know who you are. You're a broken sinner. You need Christ as a Savior, and you have to yearn to be a faithful worker. You have to call Christ your King, and you have to day in, day out, aspire to walk in and under the throne of Christ. And I know it's really hard for us to stay focused. I know it's really hard for us to, to step into that space every day, in and day out, with all that the world throws at us, all that society throws at us, um, without just saying, I'm just tired and I'm just trying to get by. And that's why we will continually go back to the supremacy of Christ. Because when you call Christ supreme, that's when you find peace. When you say Christ is my Savior, and I understand the order of worship, where he is, the, he is the creator, I'm the creation, and I just want to be a faithful servant, that is where you find peace. The peace that passes understanding that is promised to you only comes when you understand that you are a faithful servant of the triune God. I pray this week that, that you, you call Christ king, that you, you keep Christ supreme in your life, and that a peace is ushered onto you that passes understanding. Let me pray over us, and we're going to sing another song. God, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us your word, that we may see the, 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 the patriarchs of your word and their faithfulness, and that their faithfulness may spur us on uh, to just walk with you. God, I pray that we are able to keep you 
in, in the right place of our heart, that you are the, the king and the throne of our heart, that you are supreme in all that we do, and that we may just humbly come before you every hour of every day, saying, where are you leading me, king? God, I pray all things in your name. Amen.